uh, question and answer session for a minute here. What's that? I wondered if they did that music for you. Yes, they do that music for me. That is uh, Lecrae's, one of my favorites. So that's my walkout music. So. Yeah. Hey, I'm not sure why. There is a, um, there's a difference between the first service and the second service, and I never know what I'm going to say when I walk up here, so this isn't planned. I hope that it's received in the heart that I intend it. Uh, there, there seems to be um, a resistance uh, in this second service when you feel the need, the, the desire to clap. Can I just tell you it's okay? If you want to clap, you should clap. Just like that. So I know there was a few times during worship it felt like the room wanted to, like, you know, and we all grew up in different traditions in some places and some, you know, and, you know, they're, they're, there's wild expressions over here and there's a conservative expression over here. We're probably somewhere in the middle. I just want to let you know it's okay. And I mean that in all seriousness. I think sometimes you're wondering, like, eh, okay, so just if, if, you, if God stirs in you to clap, then clap. And if he doesn't, don't feel any compulsion that you have to clap either, okay? All right. Let me pray. Lord, I just pray that as we move into this service, into this portion of the service, that you would guide my words, that you would um, do what only you can do. The Spirit of God is alive and well in this place where the Spirit of God is there is freedom. And Lord, I pray that as we uh, open your word, as we uh, move into this portion, that you would bring about freedom because we all have places in our lives that we hold back from you. So Lord, I pray that we would give you total access to every part of who we are so that we could walk in victory and be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I find myself kind of sad today. Um, this series on Philippians has been... Um, a blast. It's been so much fun to do, and I think it's been really good for us as a church. When we look back, um, there's no doubt in my mind that God knew that this was the letter that we should be studying as we moved into what became kind of a, a season of unknown, a, a season of difficulty for a lot of us. So we've marinated ourselves, we've soaked ourselves in this letter, and we've learned some pretty powerful things. We've learned that that we need to know God more. We've learned that Paul prayed for the church that they would have this, this growing depth of knowledge and insight into who God is because that was going to change how they would respond to life. We, we learned that we're supposed to have the same attitude as Jesus, who being in very nature God, having all of that comfort and all of that power, didn't consider equality something to be grasped or held onto, but he gave away what was rightfully his and came and died on the cross for you and I. We, we learned that our lives are supposed to be lived out in a similar fashion, that we're not supposed to look to our own interests, but look to the interests of others. It was crazy to be in here for kids' stuff and see the, the humility was what they were talking about and this idea of, of serving one another. It's, it's neat how God works in, in kind of a, a theme here at Grace. We learned that we're supposed to be united. We learned that we're supposed to be content in all circumstances. And I love this. We learned that the way we respond to an adversity actually affects others, that people are watching us. Our kids are watching us, the church, other church people are watching us, but the outside community is watching us as well. And the way we respond actually makes a difference as to how the gospel goes forward or whether or not the gospel is advanced or not. So Brian and Holly is leaving what we went through last week. It's been pretty unsettling. It's been very unsettling for many people. It's stirred up a lot of past wounds. It's stirred up a lot of past hurts. It's really taken people to some deeper places. And, and what I think God has been up to in this is preparing us for just such a thing and preparing our hearts and getting ready to say, I don't like 
what's going on. I don't necessarily understand what's going on, but are you willing to invite the Spirit of God into that chaos? Are you willing to say, I know that I am stirred up now. I know that what seemed to have been settled for a long time in my life has now been stirred back up. God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me? So there's this great invitation from the Spirit of God as we move through a difficult season to invite the Spirit of God. But what we have learned along the way is God's in control, right? And that this is God's church. And I love the fact that over the last few weeks, we've been reminded by different people up here that, that Al Kunley was here for a couple years and he kept telling us that Jesus is our senior pastor, right? You remember Al telling us that? Well, it was good to go back to that and, and kind of be reminded that God is in control and God has this all figured out. God isn't surprised by what's going on. And, and I think the study of Philippians really helped us to get ready for that. So we sat down here last week, me and one of the elders, and, and we were kind of marveling. We were looking at the, the way things were going, and, and last week's service really was spectacular. And uh, we, were just, we were marveling at how the church has grown up. We have really grown up as a church, and what we did on last Sunday was a pretty profound expression of our growth into Christ, who is the head of the church, our growth in being the church that God has called us to be. And I think the study of Philippians has played a big part in preparing us for that. So as we conclude the study today with the last section, we're going to read um, Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. And we're going to finish this series we're calling A Satisfied Life, How to Have More Joy, How to Have More Courage, How to Have More Contentment. So grab your Bibles, turn to chapter 4. We're going to start reading verse 10 and read all the way through the end. I hope that you're bringing your Bibles. I hope that you continue to bring your Bibles. I hope you take notes in your Bibles. I hope that you're writing things down so that you can retain the information that's being taught. Um, but grab your Bibles, turn to chapter 4. And while you're doing that, um, I just want to also let you know that we've put the whole series into a package. So these are $15 at the Tape Ministry, which is really right out those doors. But if you want to get the complete set, it includes Scott's talk and it includes um, Bryce's talk and the talks that I put in here. So it's, it's from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4. If you go to buy one, just remind them to put this week's in there as well and you'll have the complete set. It'd be a great thing for you to go back if you want to go back and study the book of Philippians. So would somebody like this? Is there somebody who's going to actually listen to it? You've got to listen to it. I'll ask you. You know I'll ask you. <laughs> You're welcome. Philippians 4 verse 10. Paul's writing, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God, the Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send their greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the accessibility of your word. Some reason today, it's just really hit me how privileged we are to have the word of God translated in our language, to have the ability to read, to have access to multiple translations of the scripture. Your, your word is so accessible to us, and we take that for granted. But Lord, today, help us to really grasp all that you would have us grasp through the opening of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. I think God has a great sense of humor, so uh, we sent Brian and Holly uh, last week, and here I am this week, and we get to talk about money, which is every pastor's favorite subject to preach on, um, and the truth of the matter is, when we talk about money, we all tend to get a little stirred up right away. It actually creates angst in the room whenever money is the topic. It was fascinating to me as I talked about some of this with some of the staff, and we were talking about giving, and, and Penny was the one that pointed it out. She said, you know, we wouldn't hesitate to talk to somebody who was going into a season of isolation, somebody who separated themselves out from the, the body of the church, if they were, they were living by them. We wouldn't, we wouldn't hesitate to go to them and say, look, you need to be with other people. You need to not be alone. You're going to have to be with people to live out your faith. And I had a conversation this week with somebody who's decided to, to leave Grace, but they haven't picked another church to go to. And I, I didn't have any problem calling them and just saying, hey, you need to either stay while you're figuring it out. If God is releasing you from Grace, we want to bless that, but, but he's not going to release you to go nowhere. You need to be in a church. You need to be in a place where you're, where you're receiving the word of God, where you're worshiping together, right? But I, I, don't, I had no hesitation to call him, but if I'd known something about his finances, you, you got to believe it would have been hard for me to pick up the call and say, hey, I see you're not doing very well in your giving. It's, just, it's a whole different conversation. Somehow we've made giving this taboo subject even worse than talking about politics. There's just this, this reticency from us to want to talk about it. But the truth of the matter is, Paul says in, in the way he writes and the way he leads, he's saying, look, everything's up for discussion. We are doing life together. We are actually living life together. We are striving together, arm in arm, to live like Jesus. And that means we're going to talk about everything. So, so even in the fact that he's just got done, if we remember last week or two weeks ago, he just got done calling out these two people who are in conflict with each other, these two women within the church. And he calls them out by name. And he says, hey, you two need to get along. You two need now. Now, he's going to talk about conflict in the church, and he's going to talk about people by name in the church. He's certainly going to talk about money because money is just part. I love that Brian has taught us along the way that discipleship doesn't skip steps. Part of your discipleship journey is how you handle the things, the blessings that God's given you. It's just part of your journey. So we're going to have to figure out how to talk about money without any kind of of uh, angst in our spirit. But I love the way Paul goes after this. So we're going we're gonna to study this passage and we're going to see how Paul teaches about money. We're going to see his, his thoughts about money and about giving. And he does this in a, in a unique sort of way. So I didn't read it, but if you look at verse 9, right before what I started to read, because I started reading verse 10, Paul says these words. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Whatever you've seen me doing, as you've watched me, as you've studied my behavior, if you've studied my responses, if you've listened to my words, have you watched me do what I do, you do the same thing, and then the, the, the God of peace will be with you, the passage says. 
So Paul is actually going to use himself as an example of how to handle money. What is our attitude towards money supposed to be? What is it that we're supposed to, to think about when we think about money? So he starts by going back to a major theme in the book of Philippians. So look at 4.10, the first part. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I am so happy. I am so fired up. I have all of this joy. I, I am so geeked about this. This is great. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. He's talking about this gift. He's talking about money, and he's talking about rejoicing, but, but then he comes at it, and he, and he says something that for many of us might even be a little bit offensive. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I am so fired up. I am so glad, but I really didn't need it anyway. So you got to put yourself in, in Paul's shoes and, and put yourself in the giver's shoes. Imagine if, if uh, Tom Halpin decides that he's going to scrimp and save and scrimp and save and he's going to buy me and Meg an all-expense-paid trip to Hawaii. He says, he just shakes his head no. It's, it's just an example. So Paul scrimp, or, or, or Tom scrimps and saves and he, he buys us this trip to Hawaii. Imagine if my thank you note said, hey, Tom, thanks for the trip. We really didn't need it. Right? We would, we would all be like, well, what kind of a thank you is that? It seems offensive. It seems like ingratitude. But there's a couple things going on here that Paul wants to reinforce. And what we need to understand in the Greco-Roman world, in the, the culture of which it is, the lowest form of friendship was a utilitarian friendship. If I am friends with Tom because Tom's going to give me a gift, if I need something from him and my friendship is based on that need, that's the lowest form of friendship. It's actually kind of offensive to have that kind of friendship. And Paul wants to make sure. So he's saying, look, it's not about the gift. The gift doesn't have anything to do with our friendship. It's not about the fact that you gave me. There's something more going on. There's something more spiritual going on and more important going on. And that is the reason why I have joy. He wants the people to see that his contentment his personal contentment isn't based on the gift. It's not that I have need. I have, what does he say? Look at verses 11 through 13. He says, I didn't need your money. It's not that I needed it. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. The secret of being content. Hang on to that because that's a cool phrase. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul wants them to know. He wants to make absolutely sure that they know his contentment is not based on the gift that they gave. And you, you need to know, they gave him money. They gave him some type of monetary gift. It's pretty clear from the language that they brought some type of an offering to him to help him to, to buy things that he might need as he was in prison and doing his thing. But he's saying, none of that matters in order to make me content. And then he does this amazing thing. He says, whether I have a lot or I have a little, whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, I've learned to be content. Do you know that you need to learn to be content when you have a lot? Yeah. Did you know that you need to learn to be content even when you're wealthy? Yeah. You know that you need to learn to be content even when you're well-fed? And sometimes we think that this contentment is something that we use to battle the difficulties of life. But Paul is saying, no, 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 you don't understand. You need to learn to be content no matter what you have. That stuff and circumstances cannot be the determination of what it is that makes you content in life. Something else that we need to talk about for a minute, and it, I, I'm surprised actually that we haven't talked about it yet, it just haven't lended itself, but it does now, is, is Paul is speaking against the, the way of thinking in, in that day. So there was this philosophy, this ideology out there called Stoicism. 
And Stoicism was a, a philosophy, if you will. And to be a Stoic was to train yourself to always be content. And then the language of a Stoic was all about contentment. There is a way to train your mind. There is a way to train your heart to be content in every circumstance. But to be a Stoic, the path, if you will, or the secret to being content was to disengage. You see, if I don't care, then I'm going to be content. So if I train myself in the little things, not to be upset when they don't go my way, the more I train myself there and the bigger things come along and the more I can disengage and become aloof and, and not engage my heart, the more I can stay content. And some of the readings of the Stoics would actually say, look, you can get to the point where somebody close to you even dies, but you've disconnected your heart so well that you can be content in those hard circumstances. And then along comes Paul, and he says, no, 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 no. That's not the secret. That's not the secret of being content. As a matter of fact, let me tell you something. You can be fully engaged. You can bring your entire heart to the table. You can care deeply about people and things and circumstances and still be content. But there's a different sort of secret. The secret to being content in all circumstances is Jesus. The secret to being content, whether you have much or whether you have little, is Jesus. So he says, I can do all things, in verse 13, I can do all this through who, him who gives me strength. This is probably one of the most misinterpreted, abused, misused passages in all of Scripture. This is not a scripture talking about some kind of superhuman strength, and, and it's definitely not a passage that says, if I do the right thing with Jesus, then I'm going to get rich. I can do all things. God's going to really give me all kinds of bigger houses and bigger cars. None of that's in there. Paul is talking about one thing and one thing only. He's talking about contentment, and he's saying, I have learned the secret of being content even in my wealth, and the secret of being content is Jesus. It's just Jesus. If I know Jesus, if I know who he is, if I know all that he sacrificed to make me a son or a daughter, if I realize the love of Christ, if I realize the movement of Christ towards me, Megan and I had this opportunity yesterday morning to kind of just reflect on the crucifixion, and it just really hit me. I have no idea. Really. I mean, I, I just have a, a, a tiny, tiny glimpse of what Christ must have went through. The, the weight of what he must have went through, the humiliation of what he went through. There was a, the, the moment when they were stripping him of his garments and the humiliation and the pain. Look, we only get this at a tiny level, but at the level we begin to understand all that Christ went through to call us his son and the daughter, that place of understanding, that place of knowing the love of God brings contentment regardless of our circumstances. Paul is fighting against modern ideology. And the fact of the matter is we suffer from the same problem. We say to ourselves, look, if I just don't care, I won't get hurt. If I just don't engage in that, then I'm not going to get wounded. If I don't like the way I feel, so I'm not going to think about it. I don't like what it's drawing me into, so I'm going to ignore it. We become aloof and we become disengaged. And Paul's saying you don't have to become aloof. You don't have to disengage. And you can still feel deeply. You can even feel pain deeply and still have complete contentment in your life to walk a life of satisfaction, a life of joy, and a life of courage. When it comes down to it, we think we need more of something or we need less of something. We think we need more money, then we'll be content. Or we think we need more kids, then we'll be content. And some of you are thinking, I need less kids, then I'll be content, right? Or, yeah, so somebody actually raised their hand. I hope their kids aren't here. Um, or, or we think, if I just had a boyfriend, then I'd be happy. And then some of you are saying, if I could just get rid of my boyfriend, <laughs> then I'd be happy, right? If I, just, if I just had a better relationship with my mom, 
then I'd be satisfied. Yeah, you guys know what I'm going to say next. I don't even need to say it, right? The whole point is we, we, we have this, these categories of what do we need more of and what do we need less of, and if only we could get that, if only we could get rid of that, if I had less stress in my life, if I didn't have so much work, if I had some work, whatever it is, we have all these lists that we make, and we think that somewhere in that list it's going to bring us satisfaction, that it's going to bring us contentment. And as long as our minds are there, we are doomed from the start because Paul's saying that's not the secret. No, that's not the secret at all. The secret is Christ. The secret is to know the love of Christ in your life. So if, if this is the deal, then why is Paul so excited? Why does Paul rejoice greatly in the Lord because these guys gave him a gift? If it doesn't have anything to do with the gift, if Paul was already completely content, why then does this stir so much joy in him? And the answer is because Paul knows the truth that we invest in what we believe in. He knows the truth that when people give out of their, their limitations, when people really give sacrificially something, that it's a sign of what they truly believe in. He rejoices because of what the gift represents, not the gift itself. So look at verse 10 again. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. I love this. It's, there's something that's lost in the translation in us, but now Paul goes into this, this beautiful poetic language, and he's painting a word picture with his words that, that, that's lost on us when we translate. But the word renewed in the original language is a horticultural word. It's a gardening word, and it, it actually means, the, the word is antheleo, and it actually means to shoot up, to sprout again, to grow green again, to flourish again. I love the fact that this is what we're teaching, and it's spring. Because as I was putting this talk together this week, and every time I'd go outside and I'd see the, the colors starting to sprout out of the ground, the little, I'm not much of a horticulturist, but the, I think they might be, what are the, the bright pinks and greens that are just now starting to come up? But the, out of the ground, right? What seemed dead, there's, there's color. It's coming out of the ground now. It's beautiful. And we begin to see buds on the trees, and we begin to see what looked dead coming back to life. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm celebrating because something is growing in you. I'm celebrating because something is blossoming in you. I'm growing because while you didn't have a chance to show it before, now I see this, this plant is coming to life and it's growing inside of you. He's celebrating because of what's going on inside of them. Not because of the gift, but because what the gift represents in them. He's celebrating because something is growing and sprouting. Something new is happening in his friends. It's an amazing thing. Paul knows the truth that we invest in what we believe in. I think it's fascinating that we know from 2 Corinthians 8 that the church in Philippi was actually very poor and they were oppressed. They were oppressed by the Romans. They were, they were in a rough situation, but they were poor. And Paul says of them that they gave out of their poverty. Think about that for a minute. They gave out of their poverty. Not out of their excess, not because they had all this stuff saved up. They scrimped and saved. They gave out of what they didn't really have. They found a place to give from the deep resources, gave out of their poverty and in their oppression. And Paul knows all of that. So he knows where the gift is coming from. And it's, it's creating joy in him because as he looks to them, he sees this incredibly sacrificial way of giving. The second thing that makes joy, brings joy to Paul is that he knows the truth. That when somebody gives as an act of worship... And it's important that we know that, and hold on to that, we'll come back to it in a minute. As an act of worship, when we give for the right reason, there's something that goes on behind the scenes. There's something that's going on in the heavenly of heavens, in the, in the background. There's something going on that we probably don't even really understand. And so Paul brings this theology to light. Look at verse 17. He says, not that I'm looking for a gift, I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Not that I need a gift from you. 
But I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Now, here's the fascinating thing. The word credited for your account is the exact same word we see in chapter 1, verse 11, where, where Paul says that, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. The fruit, that word fruit and credit to your account, they're the exact same word. So what Paul is saying is this. I see this thing growing in you. There is something blossoming in you. There is this thing growing in you, this knowledge of Christ, this understanding of Christ, and it is going to bear fruit. He's painting a picture of this fertile tree that's growing and bearing fruit. And he's excited for his friends because this thing is happening in them. This thing is growing in them. I love the way the message captures 417. So in the paraphrase, the message, he writes this. He says, not that I'm looking for a handout. And I love that. He says, not but I'm looking for a handout, but I do want you to experience the blessings. I want you to experience the fruit that ensues from generosity. When we talk about money at Grace, it's not because we need a handout. The truth of the matter is we don't need your money. It's all God's money anyway, and God's going to do what God's going to do. The reason we talk about money is because it's an opportunity to invite you into receiving the fruit and the blessing of giving, that there's something more going on in all that that allows you to engage and allows you to receive from God more than you ever ask or imagine. The fact of the matter is, we need to understand that we invest in what we really believe in. And Paul is painting this beautiful word picture, and he's saying to them, if you give out of, out of the right motivations, not because you feel guilty, not because somebody's twisted your arm, not because we've, we've put a, a level of shame on you, not because you're trying to buy something from God. If you're giving to God because you know God's going to give you $10 back when you give a dollar, if you've, if you've missed the point of what God wants, but if you're giving because God has moved in your life, if you're giving because God has changed who you are, if you're giving because it's an expression of all that you've experienced in God, then God is going to bless you. And so Paul writes these words. He says in 4.18, when you give this way, they're a fragrant offering. They're an acceptable sacrifice, and they're pleasing to God. Those are all phrases taken right from the Old Testament. When someone would bring a gift to the altar, when someone would come in a heart of worship and give to the Lord, it would say, and it was a fragrant aroma. It was a pleasing sacrifice. It was acceptable to God. But do you know what? There's times in the Old Testament where people came with the wrong hearts, where they didn't really come in the right way, and God didn't really accept those sacrifices. So part of this is having the right heart, having the, the right ability to give as an act of worship. We invest in what we believe in. When we know who God is, when we know all that God has done, when we recognize his unfailing love, when we know he can be trusted, when we know he really does have our back, when we know that he is really the one that brings security, then we'll give in a way that pleases the Lord. So Paul is excited. And he's affirming this, this amazing gift that his friends have given because it's come from the right place. And then he says this, this great promise in 419. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. When we give this way, God's going to meet our needs. God's going to show up. But the fact is, if we're honest, if we're really honest, this is a pretty big challenge. The fact is, we invest in all kinds of things. 
The fact is, we invest our time and our energy and our reasons. One of the things Norvlet and I were talking about this week is really our whole lives are, are some type of investment. We're always investing in something. We're always giving ourselves towards something. We're always pouring ourselves into something. And the fact of the matter is, sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes the things that we're investing in, we're investing because we want those things to bring us contentment. We want those things to make us happy. We're looking for those things to bring us our, our, our satisfaction in life, our contentment in life. I believe we all struggle on some level with this one. And the truth of the matter is we're not the first to struggle. So think about the, the Israelites, right? We all know the story, or most of us know the story. The, the Israelites were in a captivity. They've been in captivity for 400 years. And, and while they're in captivity, they, they own nothing. They're slaves. They own nothing. They are poor. They are trapped. And they are oppressed, right? And then Moses comes, and through the work of God, the, the amazing plagues happen, and, and they are set free. But did you know the scriptures tell us that when they were set free and they were leaving Egypt, the, the people in Egypt were so distraught that they gave the Israelites all of their gold and their silver. They actually gave them everything they had, and the scriptures say that they plundered Egypt. To plunder Egypt was to take all of their wealth, and this is a very wealthy nation. And so the Israelites leave free and rich. And they, they go off as travelers, free to move about in, in freedom, right? So, they, so everything changes for them. And they go out and, and they've just crossed the Red Sea. And if you remember after this parting of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army comes in and God pours the waters back on and destroys the armies of Pharaoh, I mean, they have seen some pretty crazy stuff, right? Like they have seen God move in pretty amazing ways, right? I mean, right? It's an amazing story. Well, they've just been in the desert for a few days. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the law, and then something bizarre begins to happen. So I'm going to read for you Exodus 32.1. It says, when the people saw Moses was long in coming down from the mountain, and I just want you to hold on to this, long as days, not months or years. So Moses has gone up on the mountain. He's gone a few days. The people said, they gathered around Aaron, and they said, come make us gods. Come, make us some gods who will go before us as this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt. We don't even know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them and said, well, take off your gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing. Take off that gold and that silver, all that gold that they just gave you, all that gold, all that wealth that you just got. I just take it off and bring it to me. Your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring it to me. And so all the people took off their earrings. They brought them to Aaron and he took what they handed him and made it into an idol and cast it into the shape of a calf and fashioned it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel. These are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. It wasn't that I am God. It wasn't Yahweh. It was this golden calf that we just made in the fire. These are the... These are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and he announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Not the Lord, but the Lord he just made. So the next day the people rose early and they sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings before the idol. You see, they were willing to invest in what they believed in. They were willing to invest in what they thought would save them. They were willing to invest in what they thought would bring comfort in a difficult situation. They were, in, they were in a hard place. They were in a difficult season. They were in a desert. But they invested in what they thought would bring about their salvation. They had bought into the ideology and the religious system that they had lived under. They lived in the Egyptians' home. They had seen them worshiping idols. They just bought into that, that lie and they began to invest in what they 
believed in. They were willing to give of their wealth. They were willing to give of their animals. They were willing to give of themselves. They were willing to show up for a festival, all because they believed that that would save them. And the truth of the matter is, we all do the same thing. In one way or another, we all slip into that pattern if we're not careful. One of my life verses um, is Isaiah 50, 11. It says, now all you who light fires and provide yourself with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires. Go do it your way if you want to. All of you who light a path on your own and do it your way, go ahead and do it. Go light your fires and the torches you have set ablaze, excuse me, ablaze, and this is what you will see from my hand. You will lie down in torment. This is the verse that God uses to remind me that when I create my own path, when I want to do it my way, when I turn to anything other than God for my comfort or my stability, when I turn to anything other than God for my self-worth, for my contentment, for my satisfaction, for my joy, when I go anywhere other than God, what I get back is torment and destruction. The people of Israel, people died. Their family members died. They brought about great destruction and chaos into their lives. And we do the same thing. When we look to something other than God for our contentment, for our self-worth. The reason Paul was so excited, the reason Paul was rejoicing is because he could see all this. He knew all this and he knew that the gifts that they were giving, the gifts that they gave to him were a clear indication is that their belief system was in the right place because Paul knew we invest in what we believe in and this gift represented an understanding on the part of the church in Philippi that they knew where their contentment came from. They knew where the source of their power came from. The fact is, we invest in all kinds of things. And some of it's okay. You are actually called to invest in your family. You are, it's okay to invest in work. It's okay to invest in a hobby. It's okay to invest in a, a recreation activity. It's okay to invest in other things. But the problem is when we invest for the wrong reasons, we invest in a way to find our identity, when we invest with a desire to, to find meaning in our lives, when we invest to, 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 to find contentment, when we invest to find satisfaction, then we've made those things our golden calf. We're worshiping something other than God. The scriptures say those who cling to worthless idols, those who cling to golden calves, forfeit what God has for them. They forfeit the grace that God wants to give to you. We bring destruction and torment in our lives when we choose anything other than Jesus to be the source of our contentment. So I have a few questions for you, and I just want you to ponder the questions, and then the, the guys are going to come up, and we're going to sing a song together. But the question I would ask is, where do you go? Where do you go? What do you run to when you are stressed? What do you find yourself doing or what do you find yourself leaning into when you're sad or you're depressed? Where do you go when you need to escape? I had a great conversation this week with somebody here at Grace just talking about the stresses of home and they, know they go places when they know they just, they just want to escape from it. They want to escape from, escape from where do you go? when you want to escape? Where are you investing an inordinate amount of time or energy or resources? What do you invest in that you think is going to give you more status? Or maybe it's even just your appearance. You're obsessed and you've invested so much in the way you look because it's an idol to you or it's an accumulation of wealth or it's can be a recreation activity that's just gotten a little out of skew and your identity is around that recreation. 
The question is, what do you believe in? What are you investing in? Where are you pouring out your resources? Where are you spending your time and your talents and your treasures? What do you really believe in? Guys, you're going to come up and sing, and we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. If you want to be prayed for, you can come down while we're singing, and we'll, we'll dismiss after the song. But what I love about Philippians is the theme of Philippians is one thing. It's Jesus. If I know Jesus, I can be content in every circumstances. If I know Jesus, then I can look to the interest of others and not my own interest. If I know Jesus, then I can be like-minded with my fellow believers. If I know Jesus, then I can live into all of the teachings of what Paul is going to. And some of you know Jesus, and you just need to lean into that truth more. Some of you may not even know Jesus yet. And there's an invitation to know him. Just come down and say, I want to know Jesus. And the people that are down here will, will be happy to do it. If you're on the prayer team and you want to just come down and be down here now, that would be great. But just sing with us. This is a great song for us to wrap up the study of Philippians with. Thank you.